This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Spawn, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase, and along with Liz Gumbener, we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. Today, we're going to be talking about sleep. Okay, well, more specifically, sleep-deprived teens in particular, with author Lisa L. Lewis. And as always, we will close out our show with our Cool Picks of the Week. We'll be back, jumping right into this discussion after this. This episode of Spawn is brought to you by Babygate. Babygate allows your child to play safely on your phone without you having to worry about them calling 911 accidentally. Yeah, we know how much fun that is. With a few taps of the side or the home button, once Babygate is installed on your phone, it becomes baby safe, keeping your toddler entertained for hours. Okay, because we know holiday travel is coming up. Let's be real, parents. It keeps them entertained with baby apps like a phonetically correct alphabet app, an Animal Kingdom app with animals and their sounds, a Babygram app for babies to scroll through, and BabyTube for kids-safe videos. Notice, all of those things are not anything that you have on your phone that they could potentially get into. That's why Babygate is so cool. It's a must-have for travel or any other time you need a little help keeping your toddler occupied and you don't want them accessing the inner workings of your phone. It's super easy to use. All you need to do is go to babygate-app.com. That's babygate-app.com and download the app, or you can head over to the app store and download Babygate. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Lisa L. Lewis. She's the author of The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive, which has been described as a call to action by Ariana Huffington and an urgent and timely read by Daniel H. Pink. And I'm just going to throw my name in there. Kristen May Chase also says this is a must read. The book is an outgrowth of her previous work on the topic, including her role helping get California's landmark law on healthy school start times passed. Lewis has written for The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Atlantic, and others, and has appeared on The Today Show, BBC Weekend, and local radio and TV in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and elsewhere. She's a parent to a teen and a recent teen and lives in Southern California. Lisa, I'm so happy to talk to you. Welcome. Thank you so much. So glad to be here. All right. So I feel like most of us parents, at some level, were pretty sleep focused, right? When our kids were little, but as they get older, I don't know when or why exactly it happens, but it just doesn't seem to be as much of a focus. So I'm curious to know whether it's in your research or your experience or both. Why does that happen? Oh, absolutely. And I will say when my kids were babies, I was sleep obsessed Mm -hmm. because they were not sleeping. And I think the thing is when they're babies, when they're not sleeping, we're not sleeping. So Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think just selfishly, probably it's because it affects our own sleep. I mean, I think 
every parent sort of remembers the fog and the haze of those early months because it very directly, their sleep or lack thereof has such an impact on us. And I absolutely put myself in that category of just being obsessed with trying to get them to sleep because I was so sleep deprived. But, you know, thankfully they do finally sleep. Sometimes they need a little nudge to start sleeping through the night, but then that urgency does finally recede. And thank goodness for that, right? Mm -hmm. And so then it sort of feels like, oh, phew, we made it. Everything's going long. Your kid is a child at that point. You can put them to bed. They're going to sleep through the night. They're not going to wake every hour and a half. But then everything sort of quietly starts to ramp up again when they hit adolescence. And we can talk more about that. So I think that's kind of what happens. You're obsessed with it when they're babies. There's all these books out there on infant sleep. But then sleep really does become an issue again for our teens. And at the point I was starting to write this, there literally wasn't a book out there for parents about teen sleep. And and I think it is really an important topic when they hit that age. Well, yeah. And there was enough for you to write a whole book about it. So clearly it's an issue. And I agree with you. I have four kids and I had a couple kids who just hated sleep. And so quite frankly, when they finally did sleep, I was so relieved to not have it be this huge issue that I think it just kind of went to the back burner because I was like, there are other things to worry about. I'm not going to wake her up. You know, it was such a miracle that she was sleeping that I wasn't waking her up. I have three girls and a boy, but I'm talking mostly about my oldest who just hated sleep. But even my son was a bit sleep anxious, even as an older child. So I have to agree, it makes total sense. We know sleep is important. You have the research. I imagine parents out there, right? If we stopped parents on the street, they could tell you pretty quickly, we know sleep is important. And here's a couple reasons why. Did you find any surprising reasons or ones that maybe you hadn't thought about or had encountered very frequently in your research for the book? I mean, I think it sort of intuitively, we all know that we function better when we've gotten a good night's sleep. Just as a general, nobody does anything better being sleep deprived. But I think particularly for our tweens and our teens, perhaps the part that we don't think about as much, it's so important for them because they're going through such a huge stage of development, particularly when our teens are older teens, you know, when they're juniors and seniors in high school, they're starting to look like adults, but they are not yet adults. I mean, they are still going through so much. And so I think kind of keeping that in mind, because we see on the outside, right, they're just transforming, just the physical transformation that takes place. But inside too, I mean, it is such a huge period of brain development, Mm -hmm. just delving into that. And I can just give a brief overview because I didn't really have as much understanding of, but it is the second most major phase of brain development, you know, after the initial brain creation. Mm -hmm. So it's this major phase of brain development is focusing on pruning and remodeling. Pruning basically is use it or lose it because when our brains are first formed, there's an overabundance of brain cells, you know, so that we can learn and do all the things we need to do as infants are becoming babies and interacting with the world. But this pruning phase takes place during adolescence so that the brain cells, the neurons that are being used the most develop the strongest connections and those that aren't being used get pruned away so that the remaining ones can function more effectively. And then the second piece of it is the remodeling phase which is improving the connections between those brain cells. In fact, one of the neuroscientists that I interviewed compared that remodeling phase to upgrading from a dirt road to a paved freeway. Wow. Yeah. So just in terms of that connectivity and a lot of this is taking place when they're sleeping. You know, what's funny is when my kids are ill for like a few days and of course they're sleeping a lot and then they're feeling better, I look at them and it's like they grew, they changed. (laughs) 
changed. Like something has happened. And I'm always like, why is this happening when they're sick? But actually it's happening because they're probably sleeping so much during that time. I, I have no scientific research to back that up. But as you're talking, it's making me think, okay, maybe I'm not just making that up. No, actually it is true that growth hormone is released. The major time is when they're sleeping. So that is literally responsible for growth, but it's also responsible for repair and recovery, like from injuries and stuff. So yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, those are super important things. I mean, just aside from everything we already know about sleep, just hearing you talk about the brain development, I think will resonate so much with parents. So let's just get to the bottom line, right? Like what should we be looking at when it comes to the amount of sleep? Let's just focus on like tweens and teens. I'm bracing myself for this number. How much? Well, the official recommendations, these are from the National Sleep Foundation. Up until age 18, our kids should be getting eight to 10 hours of sleep every night. Okay. And after that, it does shift to the adult range, which is seven to nine hours. Okay. And I should clarify too, since we're also talking about tweens, that that really is the range for ages 14 through 18. Before that, it's even a little more. It's nine to 11 hours. Okay. Again, in all these cases, it's a range because of variability, you know, but by and large, people within those age ranges really do need the amount of sleep within that range for optimal functioning. And so it's not that you can't get by unless if you have to. I mean, obviously so many of us do and so many of our teens do, but we're making everything harder for them when they have to kind of drag through their days. Then really they're going to feel better. They're going to function better if they are getting eight to 10 hours. Now, let me ask you, is it cumulative just in terms of lack of sleep? And I don't know what you've read about this or researched about this, but I know personally I can go one day with like, okay, I got five, maybe six hours and I can make it. But if it's like three days in a row, it just feels like it starts to get worse and worse. It's not like it resets. And I'm like, well, last night I only got five hours. So tonight I can just get my regular seven and be okay. Is that a thing? Is that something that parents should know about? Or, or am I just making this up? No, no, no. Well, what you're referring to is sleep debt. Ah, yeah, okay. If, if you are not getting enough and you're not getting enough on a regular basis, that is basically chronic sleep deprivation. And for teens, often what ends up happening is they're regularly not getting enough during the school week. And, you know, we can talk about the reasons for that. So they kind of try and make up for it on the weekends. It's so that catch up sleep, but that's not really an effective fix. I mean, yes, it helps because they're so exhausted, mm -hmm. but it, in some ways it also perpetuates the cycle because, you know, let's say they're having to get up super early during the week. They sleep in till noon on the weekends. Well, then of course they're not feeling sleepy, you know, to go to bed at a reasonable hour on Sunday night which just exacerbates things when their alarm clock goes off Monday morning. Right. So it is an issue of this sleep debt that just sort of keeps accumulating. And when you're constantly chipping away at the amount you should be getting, you do really feel the impact. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, I feel it and my brain's not growing anymore, sadly enough. So I can't imagine what it's like. I mean, I can, because I've got them in my house running around eating all my food, right? So I, I can imagine what it's like. The other thing that I've heard, I guess we're in the busting myths section 
section of this sleep podcast, which I think is good. The other thing that I've read or heard, I can't remember exactly where, is that the sleep you get after midnight is worth less than the sleep you get before. Or like the sleep you get before is like two times better than the sleep you get after midnight. Have you ever heard that before? I have not. Okay. But I should also just say I am not a sleep researcher. You know, I'm a parenting journalist. I did talk to so many of the sleep scientists out there just trying to understand more about this. What I do know, though, and I have a a chapter, kind of an overview of, you know, the different stages of sleep, but basically we do cycle through all of the stages throughout the night. What happens, though, is a lot of our REM sleep, which is when most dreams occur, that does tend to be backloaded. So more of it happens during the second half of the night. That's what it is. So, well, then quite literally, like one of the sleep researchers that I've worked with a lot is fond of saying that when we force our teens to wake too early, we're cutting into their dreams. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, when you wake up in the morning, often you can remember some kind of a wild dream you were having because that's the stage you were in. So there is that piece of it. I do get into kind of an overview of the sleep stages and what happens and all this teen brain development in the beginning of the book just to help set the stage because I do feel like, yeah, it is important for parents to have some understanding of this. Well, that makes sense. That's what it was. Now that you're saying that, it wasn't like there's like a value placed on it, but it is that REM sleep that they're getting. And that's what I remember now as you say it, I'm like, oh, that's what it was. So no, that's super helpful. Well, and one other thing that I think people often aren't always as aware of is that teens basically have a different sleep schedule, that it's not just our teens are being willful by not Mm. going to bed until late. There's actually a circadian rhythm shift that happens when they start puberty. This does start to shift. And you see this with your kids, you know, when they're little, they bound out of bed at 6.30 in the morning, ready to go. There are not many teens who bound out of bed at 6.30, raring nope. to go. Yeah. yeah, and that's biology. So this circadian rhythm shift that happens basically shifts them to a later sleep schedule because melatonin, which is the hormone that primes us to start feeling sleepy, begins to be released later in the evening. So they're not feeling sleepy until about 11 o'clock at night. Uh, And then of course, there are many other things keeping them up, but it also doesn't subside until later in the morning. And so that's why issues like school start time are so important because you just do the math. If they can't go to sleep, you know, they're not sleepy till about 11. They need eight hours of sleep. You can see the issue when they have to be at their desks, mandatory first period at say 7.30. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because this is super important and you just, said it like that is my kids start time the bus comes for them at 6 40 they are up at 5 45 and it is horrible so okay so we know the research points to kids needing sleep adults do it too but here we are with these early start times and i have to share just a personal story you know when my kids were online schooling during the pandemic i have to say that my son was probably the happiest actually my kids overall you know of course it was hard to kind of decipher what it was because it was also a very difficult time in our lives yeah but their moods were markedly changed now i know that again he was staying up late and so we can talk about what we just talked about which is getting enough rest but he was sleeping in to like 9, 10 o'clock. So whatever we want to say, he was getting optimal sleep. He was getting nine to 10 hours of sleep every night. But now here we are again. And this is a tricky one because I think parents don't feel like they have a lot of control over what the school start time is. And I think that's a valid uh, belief, right? So what can parents do about school start times? Like, is there something we can do about it? Yes. And you're right. School start times really is the largest control 
contributor to teen sleep deprivation. It is the single biggest policy change that can be made to help teens get more sleep because so many schools are starting too early. I have the same situation in my small community here in California when my son was entering high school. That's in fact what spurred me on this whole journey. This was seven years ago, the beginning of his freshman year of high school. And at that point, our local public high school started at 7.30 in the morning. Mm. So what you're describing is unfortunately still the norm in far too many communities. And it isn't an overnight fix, unfortunately, but absolutely advocating for later start times is something I would heavily encourage. All the research supports this. The American Academy of Pediatrics has a policy statement that they released in 2014 stating that middle and high schools should start no earlier than 8.30 because of the impact that these really early start times have on our teen sleep and the ramifications. And pretty much every other major medical and public health group has since concurred with that. the science, the research is on your side. It is tricky though. Yeah. And and I absolutely get that as somebody who tried advocating in my community, didn't have a whole lot of success. I'll just be honest. And that's because up until now, when it's happened in these individual communities, oftentimes it does hinge on having somebody ultimately within school administration, on the school board, superintendent, what have you, who understands and sees the value and ultimately backs this. I see. And if you don't have that, it can be an uphill climb. Mm-hmm. So I would say a couple of things. The first is that ultimately, I do think state legislation is the best way to address this. Okay. You know, California is the only state that has a law in place stating how early is too early. Mm-hmm. So our new law just went into effect for this school year. But, you know, if you think about it, this is what we do for other public health issues like asbestos and lead paint. They are mandated at the state level. You don't leave it to local communities, right? So I would hope ultimately that that is going to help spur. And there are active bills right now in a couple other states, but it has happened in other communities, hundreds around the country. It does take a little more concerted local teamwork. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't do it just as a single parent. That is for sure. You definitely want to start by starting a conversation with other parents, starting a group even of like-minded parents. There's a resource called Start School Later. Okay, great. So that's an organization It's been around since 2011. And in fact, when I was working on this in my local community, I did start a local chapter. And so that's a terrific way just to kind of tap into other resources that are out there, bringing in a speaker, doing a presentation at your school, kind of starting this conversation, because just raising awareness about why this is an issue and why this is so important, I think is the best place to start. Well, and your book is a great resource, right? So maybe it's even just passing on your book to school board members. I know I have a few school board members in my community that I'm friendly with, and I'm sure they're looking for something else to be talking about other than all the book banning. (laughs) (laughs) So here, here, pass it along to your administrators, because, you know, this is something that we can all get behind. There are so many issues right now that are divisive, and we've talked about them here on Spawn, of course, but this one in particular is like, kids need sleep. It is better for them. It's healthier. It's dangerous if they don't. Right. And you go into that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I love this idea of really rallying your community. And it doesn't need to necessarily be, you know, you stand outside of the school, but it's like bringing in some speakers, talking to the administrators, because this is something that affects them, too. I mean, they're getting super tired kids in their classroom who are probably having trouble focusing, who are having trouble executing their schoolwork, paying attention, all of those things. So there's value for them to get behind it as well. Oh, absolutely. And there are teachers I spoke with when I 
I was writing this book, who would tell me about having kids literally falling asleep mm-hmm. in their classes, you know, these early morning classes, like this is something that they are absolutely aware of. And not only that, and especially when you're talking to, you know, school administrators, the research shows that when schools start later, mm-hmm. teens get more sleep mm-hmm. and grades improve, attendance goes up, tardies go down, graduation rates go up. So just looking at it from a school performance standpoint, right. there are all these benefits. Right. You know, the other big piece, there are a number, but one that I think is so important, especially now, is the impact of sleep on mental health. Yes. You know, as parents, we know how much our kids have gone through, are going through just as teens, and then especially these last few years. That's such an amazing point. And it's interesting that you bring that up because there are some things that parents do have more control over, right? And I'm thinking sports, activities, the scheduling of their calendar. And I also think there's something that we don't talk about at all. And I am one to blame for this, like partially, because there is a societal value on doing things versus sleep. And I think that there are a lot of people out there who kind of think, you know, like napping or like going to bed early like you're either nerdy or like you're lazy if you have to take a nap during the day, which is a societal value. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like we know that we can have some control over what they're doing after school, their work schedules, social life. How do we navigate that? Because if they're not hanging out with their friends, there's FOMO, like there's all kinds of things that aren't really great for them socially. So talk to me a little bit about what parents should do in these situations. Yeah, you brought up something really important. It really is this situation where there has been this almost way of looking at getting by on as little sleep as possible, some sort of badge of honor. Yes, yes. Which is ridiculous. You know, I mean, nobody does anything better as a result of being sleep deprived. Nobody brags about how little air they breathe. Like it just, it doesn't make any sense. Like we function better across the board Mm -hmm. when we're not sleep deprived, we are sleep deprived, it makes everything harder. We're more emotional. We're more impulsive. You know, we feel things more intensely. I mean, teens already have so much going on that asking them to do it all while being sleep deprived is just this added burden. Mm-hmm. But it, it is tricky because there's so much going on. There's a few things I would mention. The first is looking at the issue of overscheduling. Okay. Because I think it is so easy to fall into that trap of just kind of adding one more honors level class or one more activity. So my recommendation would be just to sort of step back and evaluate everything that your teen has on their plate, because it's not just their hours in school, you know, every single class kind of trying to map out, okay, well, realistically, what's the homework load for each class every single night? And then all the other activities they're doing, you know, sports or other things, you know, drama, band, speech and debate, what have you, job, and literally just mapping out all of those hours and seeing if there's even a window left in that schedule of eight to 10 hours to give them the opportunity to be able to get enough sleep. Mm -hmm. Because if you write all that out and you realize that there isn't, it may be time to reevaluate. I will say, though, that I know that's hard because they're doing all this. Sometimes it's because they love all these activities, but often they feel this pressure that they need to. And so I think that's kind of where we as parents can also maybe help 
reset that expectation, you know, that one additional class isn't going to make or break their future. And recognizing that we have to give them enough time to sleep, to replenish and not just expect them to just run hard all day until the collapse of exhaustion. Absolutely. You make such good points. It's important to also look at everything, like you said, because I think over scheduling, sometimes we kind of limit ourselves to after school. But I like your point about thinking about what classes are your kids taking? Do they really need to take AP, X, Y, and Z? Do they really need to be an honors chem if they're interested in being a writer? I really think we need to evaluate what our kids are doing in their school schedules to make sure that it supports their overall mental and physical health. Yes. And I think sometimes we get caught up and we're like, well, they're not going to get into this college if they don't have this. I'll use my son as a great example. You know, he's taking honors pre-calculus right now. He's doing very well. He's a great student, but he's like, why am I doing this? I'm taking AP stats. You know, I'm really leaning toward like more history and English. And so I'm not even quite sure why I did honors. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. It sounds good. You're like, oh, honors pre-calc. But do they really need it? Is it really important for them? Like taking time to evaluate everything that they're doing. I really appreciate that note. And I think that's going to really resonate for parents. You know, sometimes we get caught up in what we think we should be doing, but what is really best for our kids. And also it's a longer conversation because it isn't just that we as parents have just in a vacuum said, Hey, go take all these classes. You know, that there is perceived pressure. Sometimes their classmates are feeling this too, the schools, you know, I mean, it is this larger context, but that's where we can sort of gently push back. Yes. There are schools out there too that are trying to help address this by limiting the number of AP classes kids can take, for instance. Right. And then we as parents too, this is more than just a one-time conversation. You know, it's just sort of the larger way that we're presenting this, that their future doesn't hinge on getting into this one specific college. Yes. And that's the one thing too. I'm sure you found this an adult. You get out there and the people that you work with or interact with, they've gone to a variety of different colleges. They've had a variety of different paths, you know, to get to the same place. That's such a great point. And we've had folks on here, right? We've had Ned Johnson on, who's great. We've had different folks talk about the college process and the journey. And certainly their lives are long and this is one part of their life. And so to stack what is talking to Ken Ginsburg, the time where their growth is exponential and they're doing so many things, they're growing, they're learning, they're exploring to then bog them down with all of these things. It's kind counterintuitive actually, but we're still doing it. (laughs) Well, and one more quick thing too, which I think we know, but we don't necessarily always stop to think about AP classes are college level classes. Right. And a full-time college student takes what, four classes? Yes. And yet high schoolers who have say six or seven periods in the day can end up taking more than that in terms of, you know, five AP classes, six AP classes. That is quite literally a heavier workload than a college student would have. I like the way that you're breaking this down. I think parents of teens, really, like you said, need to take the time, sit down, talk to your kids. And also it's like, you know, your kid best, what they can handle and what they can't handle. But with this idea that they really need to be getting that eight to 10 hours of sleep. Okay. So this is the biggest question I'm going to ask you. I think, I think it's a great question to end with in your book. You talk so much about the really important reasons why kids need sleep, but goodness, how do we get our kids to like make it a priority? Because we're also dealing with teenagers. It was one thing when they were like two and we could put them in the crib and walk away. But now we have kids, we're not forcing them in bed. And so it's really hard as parents 
to instill this value in them other than they just physically feel it. And at that point, I feel like it's too late, right? When they're feeling so bedraggled and exhausted, it's too late. I want them to prioritize it before they get there. So what's your advice to parents in terms of getting their teens on board with this? That is a great question. And to your point, yeah, you know, you're not going to have a great conversation with a teen who is overtired, stressed. It's the night before a test and they're like, no, I can't. I have to stay up. I have to study. So yes, it is something you do want to be addressing, you know, not in that moment. You know, again, similar to what I said before, it is a process. It's an ongoing conversation. They know when they're tired. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. when they're feeling exhausted, they're going to be kind of prickly. They're not going to be, you know, in a great state if you talk to them about it, but they know you know, when they're stressed, they're overwhelmed, they're overscheduled. So not in that moment, but in a moment where they are feeling a little more well-rested, having that conversation and trying to, you know, as the parent helping identify what are some of the contributing factors. So like we talked about overscheduling, and if that is really a part of it to kind of reevaluate, maybe figure out, are there classes that perhaps they don't need to be taking the highest level they could possibly be taking, mm-hmm. paring down their schedule just a bit, planning ahead for schoolwork. So again, doesn't work the night before the test, but they're still teens. They're still developing all of these skills, you know, planning ahead, et cetera. So as parents, we can help them so that ideally the next time around, they haven't left it to the night before. And research shows that when you learn things over the course of many days or or many evenings, as opposed to cramming last minute, you're going to do better. (laughs) It is more effective. So helping them do that, if that's an issue where they're constantly leaving it to the last minute, kind of trying to parse through, well, why is that? Is it because they're overscheduled? Is it because they just didn't quite have the wherewithal to figure out they should be starting earlier? So that's where we can step in and help, kind of depending on what's going on, Mm -hmm. but really also just making sleep a priority for ourselves too, so that it's something that we're discussing. They see us valuing our own sleep. Mm -hmm. You brought up about, you know, when they're little, you know, it's much more straightforward. You have a little bedtime routine, you put them in their crib, you say goodnight, you know, that's that. Well, having a wind down routine is still something that is super beneficial for teens, for us too, but it's something that the person does on their own. I've become much more intentional, I will say, after having been immersed in this subject for the last Mm -hmm. several years. Mm -hmm. For me, that wind down routine is reading a book, an old school book, not reading it on a Kindle, you know, Mm -hmm. but this concept of having a set sequence of things that you do, this transition time to help kind of ease you into getting ready for bed, that wind down routine is something that can be hugely beneficial. And so just talking to our teens about that, if they want to read a book, if they want to take a bath, even like listening to a podcast was an Mm -hmm. example. One of the researchers I spoke with was saying that she, she often suggests to her clients. So helping just come up with these things that just help ease that transition, that's another thing. And as part of that, I should say, ideally, you want them not on their tech devices an hour before bedtime. That's the official recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics. You know, and again, that makes sense because you think about it, it can be part of their downtime of relaxing, but it can also really rev them up. You know, if they're in the middle of dealing with some hugely emotional issue, this back and forth texting thing right before bed, that's not really helping ease them to sleep. There's a lot of these kind of suggestions. I have like a chapter of daytime strategies. I have a chapter of nighttime strategies. The bottom line is it's a combination of all of this. Mm -hmm. It's making sleep a priority for ourselves, having this conversation and helping kind of identify perhaps what are the things that seem to be the sticking points for them so that we can work with them or even just raise them, encourage them 
them to start working on them because that may work better than us telling them what to do. Yes, absolutely. That's always going to work better, right? Than us trying to tell teens what to do. (laughs) Not generally a winning strategy. Not generally. All right. So folks can find your book, The Sleep Deprived Teen, Why Our Teenagers Are So Tired and How Parents and Schools Can Help Them Thrive wherever you get your books. And they can find you on Twitter and Instagram. You're Lewis Lisa L. It's L-E-W-I-S Lisa L. You're on Facebook, the same. And your website is lisalewis.com. And you're going to stick around for Cool Picks of the Week, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, we will be right back after this. Hey, it's Kristen here. And I want to tell you about our sponsor, MyLeo. You may not want to do this, but just do it anyway. For me, your BFF, Kristen here from Spawn. Go look right now and see how many photos you have on your phone. No judgment. Just go do it right now. Take a look. Full disclosure, I have about 6,000 just on my phone. And who knows how many other photos are on all the other gadgets in my house. My computer, on hard drives, all my old computers, iPads. Okay, so you get the idea. And that's why I am so excited about MyLeo because it's actually more than just photo organization. It really is a super cool way to make sure that you have access, safe sharing, as well as the ability to preserve all of those important photos, videos, even digital files all in one place. We're talking local, not on the cloud, which by the way, safety issues. So anyway, This is the way to go. And what's great is that it doesn't matter what platform you use. If you have an iPhone, but you have a PC, or you have kids who have Samsungs, or you use Google Photos, it doesn't matter. MyLeo works across all platforms and all your gadgets. And it's so easy to use. In fact, I have been having a great time trying to get my 2022 photos organized before the end of the year. And I'm already set up for 2023, which means I'm going to start off the new year with an actual system. Now, I don't have a ton of time, so I can't tell you about all the amazing features that MyLeo has. I mean, I've already talked about a couple, but you can do everything from search by face, search by item, get rid of duplicates. It does that for you in searching so you can decide, oh, I guess I don't need 17 of that same photo that my daughter decided to take on my phone of herself. It really does does all the thinking for you so that you don't have to worry about finding or keeping those photos. And pro tip, which I think is really cool, you can make an unlimited number of albums, but you can do them by kid and by year. And because it's not just photos, it's videos and files as well, you can take photos or scans of their artwork, of their certificates, of their report cards, whatever you want, upload it all to my Leo, back it up there, and then add it to the album. So every year you can go back and look at all of the things that your kids did, accomplished, painted, you get the idea. That's just one of the many uses of MyLeo and why I'm so excited about it. Okay, here's the deal, which we have a deal. It's only $99 a year. That's like under 10 bucks a month and you get an unlimited number of photos, videos, documents across all your devices. But Spawn listeners, you're going to save 20% when you subscribe through myleo.com slash cool. That's M-Y-L-I-O.com slash cool. Yes, nine 
$99 a year, you will not believe the amount of features this has. I'm telling you, I had a walkthrough with one of the tech experts and I was so excited to start using it. So trust me when I say MyLeo, it's the way to go. MyLeo.com slash cool, save 20% on your year subscription. Okay, well, it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Lisa, you're our guest. You get to go first. Awesome. Okay, so I actually have two picks. All right. Sticking with the sleep theme. Recently, I was in a hotel, and one of the things that is always so difficult in a hotel is the pillow. Yeah. You know, it's never like what you're used to. So I got a new pillow not that long ago, and I swear I am not affiliated with them in any way. It's called Coop, like chicken coop. And it's pretty cool because it's all memory foam, but it's shredded memory foam. Yes. And, and then they give you like this extra little bag of it so you can stuff some more of it in and you can take some out and you can personalize it. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And so that has been my biggest splurge for bedtime. Okay, I love that. <laughs> I have heard good things about that whole concept of the shredded memory foam idea. So like that totally makes sense. And then you said you have another pick. Yes. Okay. So this other one maybe doesn't necessarily help you drift off to sleep, but it is a cool book to read called Madman in the Woods. Oh boy. It is by a writer who grew up next to the Unabomber. Whoa. I know, right? Yeah. Her name is Jamie Gehring. It's G-E-H-R-I-N-G, Madman in the Woods. And so, yeah, maybe this is not the book to read just to drift off to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> But it's super interesting. So that would be the book I'd recommend. That's awesome. We love book recommendations. And, you know, hey, maybe you never know if you've got the right pillow and you did the right bedtime routine. Who knows? But that sounds like a very compelling read. My pick, I mean, I guess you could say sleep related because I know exercise helps, but I am completely obsessed with pickleball. Oh, that is yeah, my thing. Oh my goodness. Am I the only one in the United States who has not yet started playing pickleball? Well, I mean, it was in the New York Times, Lisa. So you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's kind of funny because we have had people in our neighborhood, we have like a tennis court in our neighborhood and there's a pickleball net and I've seen people play. And I think originally it was sort of very associated with older adults and senior citizens, but it has taken like at least the United States by storm. And I was a tennis player as a kid. I love badminton. It's super fun for me. I love ping pong. And so for people who are like pickleball, I have to say it's sort of the best of tennis, ping pong and badminton all in one. It's a smaller court. It's a different kind a racket. It's a different ball. It's most fun played with four people, but you can play with two. I like to play games, right? So I am a little competitive. If you're not really, I don't know if it's for you, but it's great exercise. It's a social activity. You can be good at it without being super athletic. Actually, mm -hmm. you don't have to be super athletic, but you will get a workout. Like I played it on Wednesday and my muscles are still sore and I was sweating, but I just have to say it's super fun. So just give it a try. If you've been wondering about it, you're like pickleball. I'm not sure. It's definitely worth trying. And a lot of places now, if you Google it, they're offering like clinics, which is what I did. It was like intro to pickleball. It was $40. It was two hours. And now I know how to play. And I'm like, I'm good to go. Oh, that so. is awesome. Well, I'm just going to say, my husband has become a pickleball aficionado. Oh, so okay. when I tell him that you just recommended that, he is going to be happy. <laughs> I am, I mean, I'm, I'm reasonably coordinated. I would say I'm kind of racket challenged, but mm -hmm. it sounds like I just need to get on board with this. <laughs> yeah, just get on board and you can play it at various paces. There's obviously like the advanced and even the intermediate people, but you can play a beginner level and just be like hitting the ball over the court. And there are some rules to make it so that you're not playing like Serena versus Venus 
feminist. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Oh my gosh, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Oh, this was fabulous. I'm so glad we had the chance to chat. Yes, this is great. And thanks to everyone for joining us. Huge thanks to our engineer, John Bowen. And listen, if you have a minute, if you can leave us a five-star review, wherever you listen to your podcast, we would greatly appreciate it when you do that and you subscribe and download our episodes and actually helps other listeners like you find us. And you can, of course, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We do have a Spawn podcast community on Facebook. We chat about the show and pretty much everything else. You can also find us in Rescue Rescue and OutTech Your Kids. Thank you so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen. Have a great day. Bye.